0: When I was growing up, hearing stories from my grandparents helped me understand who I am and where I came from. At The Evergreen, we care deeply about the stories of all the different people who make this place we call home what it is, including the older adults in our lives. And they might call home a place like our sponsor Spring Ridge at Charbonneau, a vibrant senior living community in Wilsonville. Residents are supported by full-service care and a community of neighbors, plus plenty of amenities and activities, even free golf, for enjoying life's next adventures. Learn more at retireatspringridge.com.
1: What is visible right outside my office window every day, it's not okay. And there's a ton of compassion fatigue.
0: Andy Mendenhall is the CEO of Central City Concern, The Portland nonprofit helps people struggling with addiction and homelessness. And it's located in an area of the city where those problems are on full display.
1: Go smoke your fentanyl someplace else. Leave that corner now. I can either come give you a citation or you can leave.
0: If you live in Portland or really anywhere in Oregon, you probably know what he's talking about. Maybe the fentanyl crisis has touched you personally in some way. Maybe you've fielded some questions from concerned relatives who live out of state, as Oregon's very visible addiction crisis has gotten its fair share of national news coverage. A drug disaster on the streets of Portland, Oregon, that some voters blame on a law they actually voted for. In 2020,
2: Oregon voters passed the most liberal drug law in the country. Instead of arresting users for possessing small amounts of drugs, police now give them a citation and point them
1: toward treatment. The law also funneled more money into recovery. The state of Oregon could soon be under a statewide fentanyl emergency as overdoses there soar to record levels.
0: And that has prompted a fierce political debate in the state about whether the measure has been a success or a failure. All of this can be really confusing. Is that liberal drug law, known as Measure 110, causing the addiction crisis? Or did the availability of illegal fentanyl all across the country spike at the same time the measure took effect? Researchers have released conflicting reports, and Oregon lawmakers on both sides of the aisle came to the 2024 session ready to make some major changes to Measure 110. But these conversations can feel abstract because they don't really get at what's happening on the ground, what you're probably seeing out your window. That's what we're going to do today.
1: And I think it's important to to note that folks are experiencing their own despair seeing the suffering of others right and this suffering is really unprecedented
0: i'm jen chavez and this is the evergreen a podcast about the place you call home we all want our loved ones to be well cared for it brings me joy to see the older adults in my family living a fulfilled life And that's what our sponsor Spring Ridge at Charbonneau wants, too. They're a vibrant senior living community in Wilsonville where residents get full service care, a community of neighbors and fun amenities and activities like free golf for enjoying life's next adventures. Learn more at retire at springridge.com. OPB reporter Conrad Wilson spent time with first responders and people experiencing addiction to see the -the on-the-ground effects of the fentanyl crisis and how Measure 110 fits in. We're going to listen to the stories he brought back and hear some of Conrad's own reflections on his reporting. Conrad, so much of the discussion around Measure 110 is at a policy level that's far removed from these on-the-ground interactions, and I think The series really captures the way things are playing out on the streets of Portland right now and puts human faces on a struggle that's often viewed in the abstract.
2: You know, and that's really what I was going for. Mm. I, I wanted to show what is happening from the perspective of first responders, treatment providers and people living with addiction. I feel like what they deal with every day is often missing from the political debates around changes to the state's drug policy. The series looks at ways that Measure 110 isn't working, but also some of the ways that it's actually starting to help people. Before we dive into the first story, I want to warn people that it includes graphic descriptions of a drug overdose. The call crackled in over Portland Police Sergeant Jerry Ciota's radio. It was two bike cops, under his command in Old Town. Someone had overdosed a few blocks away. About one minute later, Ciota was on the scene. In one fluid motion, he pressed his foot on the brake, put his police cruiser into park, and unbuckled pausing for a beat to look out the passenger side window to see what he was getting into, and then whispered under his breath, He's dead. He's dead. There was a young man splayed out on the red brick sidewalk in the middle of the afternoon. Even from across the street, it was clear the pink and red had drained from his skin. In their place, a lifeless white face and light blue lips. Down the block, a light rail train rang its bell as Sioda sped across the tracks towards his officers, the ones who had already given the man two doses of the overdose reversal drug Narcan. They were still trying to save the man's life. What
1: last, of Narcan do you have? A lot, one.
2: One. Boom. Sioda got down on one knee, held the man okay, on his side, it. and sprayed a third dose up his nose. You goes. Hey.
1: Don't die on us. Come on, come back. There we go. Come on. Come on.
2: be quicky. This moment, playing out on a Portland sidewalk where life or death is up for grabs, has become routine. In the last few years, overdoses have soared across the country. Under Measure 110, police officers like Ciota are supposed to spend their time writing tickets for drug use and then guiding people towards treatment. The arrival of street fentanyl fundamentally changed things. In 2019, nearly 300 people died from unintentional opiate overdoses in Oregon. Three years later, that more than tripled to nearly 1,000 deaths, a 240% increase. The debate coming in the Oregon legislature, and maybe on ballots later this year, over whether to recriminalize drugs will impact Ciota and other first responders. But it feels so distant from this moment on the sidewalk, where Ciota kept working on the man, trying to save his life. The city slowed, but it didn't stop. Passers-by asked officers if they needed help including someone who leaned out the window of a silver sedan to offer medical support.
1: Thank you Narcan? I got it. We've already done three.
2: Law enforcement hasn't been able to stop the spread of fentanyl, but between government agencies and nonprofits, Narcan is everywhere. There's not much these officers can do in a situation like this, except wait. Wait for paramedics, wait for an ambulance, wait to see if the Narcan would jolt the man back to life.
1: He was, like, blue
2: when we found him. I've got a slight pulse. Yeah, this is better than how he was. We've already done three. We're waiting for medical. The wait seemed like forever, even though it had been just a few minutes since the call came in. Ciota was perched over the man. His body leaned up against Ciota's bent leg that rested on the sidewalk. Ciota cupped the man's wrist with his gloved hands, searching for a heartbeat or any signs of life.
1: He's breathing. He's got a pulse. Keep breathing, keep breathing, wake up. There you go, hi! How you doing, dude? Stay awake, you gotta stay awake. You hear me? Stay awake. Wake back up, there you go. Wake up, hey, hi! How you doing? Wake back up. No, no, there you go. Better pulse. There you go. There you go. Nope, not back to sleep. Oh, there you go.
2: Finally, the man on the red brick sidewalk sat up, risen from the dead. No wonder paramedics call Narcan liquid Jesus. The man seemed confused, awoken from a deep sleep, and he could not remember where he was or how he got there. Uh-oh. Hi! Sioda was animated, almost willing the man back into this moment, into this world. The man looked around. He reached towards his belongings to grab a sandwich. He unwrapped it and devoured it in what seemed like four massive bites. Hey, can I see your pupils?
1: Still super pinpointed,
2: dude. Yeah. How old are you?
1: Twenty-eight. Twenty-eight. You use fat molds? Occasionally. Okay. I don't want you no more. I don't want it.
2: I'm so uncomfortable with it. I'm just so uncomfortable with it, the man said, while chewing what remained of his sandwich. Next came sickness, sudden and violent. The man was in nearly instant withdrawal. The euphoria from the fentanyl high gone, eviscerated by Narcan, the drug that saved his life. This was hard to watch, but also normal, routine. I need
1: to go to the doctor. You need to go to the doctor. I need a hospital. You need a hospital. Yeah. The ambulance is on the way. You were dead for like two minutes, dude.
2: The next few moments were a blur. My tummy
1: hurts. No, I'm in Providence. I don't feel good at all. Hey, ah, it's I know navigation. Ah, it's cold. OK, we'll talk to ah. you Actually, Let's just hang on for a second. Let's make sure
2: Hello. Then the ambulance arrived. By then, the man was agitated and paced along the sidewalk as the full pain of his withdrawal seemed to be setting in. A paramedic with Portland fire walked up to the man.
0: Sounds like you want to go to the hospital. Is that right? Yes, please. Okay. Ah! Okay.
2: Finally, the man who had appeared dead to Ciotta just moments before was talking, answering questions. Then he walked up to the ambulance and climbed in.
1: That guy was dead. He was dead. Like when I first got there, he had no pulse, zero. Then like the more I was holding it, it it's like, oh, okay, I think I feel it.
2: Back in his squad car, Ciotta said it was the third overdose he reversed the third person's life he had saved just that week. Three for three, though. Lived. Yeah. Yeah, Ciota says Measure 110, coupled with fentanyl, has exposed, not necessarily created, a crisis.
1: Most people don't understand this addiction. Prior to about Measure 110, when people were using secretively, it wasn't out out, in the open. People could turn a blind eye to addiction. Excuse me, I'm going to take a phone call
2: here. Yep. If nothing else, Ciota said, ballot measure 110 made it impossible to look away.
0: Wow. Uh, that is a really intense and powerful story, Conrad. Do you know if the person who overdosed got any resources for addiction treatment?
2: There was an outreach worker there, and they gave him some information. But I was really struck by the way they talked to him. I heard the outreach worker say, when you're back out here, just assuming that it was only a matter of time before he'd be out of the hospital and right back on the street. And that was just really surprising to me.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that really says so much about this crisis. What did you focus on for the second story in your series? Well, officers
2: are dealing with a lot of overdose calls, but they also have to respond to people using drugs in public. I went along with an officer on one of those calls. On a gray November afternoon in Portland's Old Town neighborhood, Officer Joey Yu is hunched over a city-issued mountain bike. He uses the seat as a makeshift desk as he scrawls on a thick pad of paper. All right, do you
1: have any questions while I'm talking to you, while I'm giving
2: you the citation? Yu is talking to a young man he stopped when he spotted him using drugs in public. The man is wearing a red jacket and sitting on a brick retaining wall. He's staring down at the ground, not making eye contact with you. His face is largely hidden under a haystack of thick blonde hair. The little he says to Officer Yu is hardly audible.
0: What brought you out here? <laughs>
2: Just drugs. What brought you out here, Officer Yu asks. Drugs, I guess, the man replies. Do you, need any, do you have any family here? And this isn't the first time the young man received a Measure 110 ticket for smoking fentanyl in public. Officer Yu urges him to seek help.
1: Now, when you call, give them this citation number right here. Like I said, you don't have to you know, go into treatment, but they will give you information about how to get
2: into treatment. That's all you have to do. Okay? Down the block, a man officers say is high on meth is raging about his stuff being stolen. The sidewalk is dotted with tiny scraps of tinfoil, no larger than a gum wrapper, used for smoking fentanyl. People place the powder, or a fake pill made to look like oxycotton called a blue, on one side of the foil, and then heat it up with a lighter from underneath, burning it before they suck the chemical-laden smoke into their lungs, often through a glass tube. You seize it every day. Not, I don't get sick of it. It just gets uh, pretty repetitive.
1: Uh, same people that I give citation to yesterday, I see
2: today doing the same thing, so. When Oregon voters passed Measure 110 in November 2020, they decriminalized the possession of small amounts of hard drugs. Rather than arresting people they've caught with drugs, police are supposed to issue citations, like a parking ticket. They've also confiscated drugs when they've seen them. Drug users who get a citation are supposed to call a hotline to get assessed for addiction. Once they do, a fine of up to $100 along with a citation goes away. They're also offered treatment services, but it's not required. So far, police have handed out more than 7,000 ballot measure 110 citations. Of those, just a few hundred people called the hotline and got assessed for a substance use disorder. And out of that group, even fewer took the additional step and sought treatment. We have talked to exactly two people who have actually called that number. That's Sergeant Jerry Sciotta again, who you heard earlier. The bike unit he oversees does some of the most direct work with people on the streets of downtown Portland. we stood by while well they called central. that number, both those people
1: we're on the phone for 45 minutes.
2: Cioda says that's too long, not realistic for someone trying to get help while actively using drugs such as fentanyl. And the thought of somebody sitting on the phone for 45 minutes to get help to find
1: out that you've got to sit on another phone call, it's probably going to take a minimum of another 45 minutes, all they can think about is making that withdrawal, that sickness, that
2: really bad feeling go away. So all they're doing is thinking about going in and getting another hit. An audit released in December by the Oregon Secretary of State found the hotline was ineffective. The Oregon Health Authority announced late last year it awarded the hotline contract to a new provider. State health leaders want to improve the process and increase the number of people actually getting treatment through the system Measure 110 set up. But after spending days on Portland's streets, it's clear the citation system, a key tool in Oregon's drug decriminalization experiment, is not working. One of the most common drugs on the streets now, illicit fentanyl, is simply too strong. Back in Portland's Old Town, Officer Yu hands the man in the red jacket several slips of paper. One is a citation, another has a phone number to seek treatment. That's because the state didn't put the number to seek help on the citation form. And just don't do it in public.
1: If I see you with drugs in public, I'd stop you a citation and have a conversation like this, okay? Do you have any questions?
2: Then, the man in the red jacket nods and stands up. All right, well have a good day. His jeans nearly fall down as he shuffles away from Officer Yu, hunched over. The man is still clearly under the influence of fentanyl. And in just a few hours, he'll need more, or he'll start to feel ill as he goes into withdrawal. According to court records, the man never called the hotline to get help.
0: You know, Conrad, listening to that, it... it It really strikes me that this seems like routine, like interactions like this probably happen like every day, right?
2: It happens all the time. And I know that it seems pretty bleak. For the last story in this three-part series, I focused on a new partnership between police and outreach workers. Mm-hmm. It started in December. This is something that people working on it say it's easier to do because of drug decriminalization. Okay. Uh, three years after Measure 110 passed, uh, police and health workers, they're finally experimenting with ways to better connect drug users to treatment. Joseph is curled up in a blue and silver sleeping bag on a Portland sidewalk. A yellow hoodie covers his head, leaving just a sliver of his face exposed to the winter chill. It's December, and he's sick from fentanyl withdrawal.
1: How's it going, Joseph? My name's Ryan.
2: Ryan Hazlatt is an outreach worker with the Mental Health and Addiction Association of Oregon, he sits down on the sidewalk just inches from Joseph's head.
1: I feel terrible and I'm really cold. Yeah, I bet, man. I feel dirty. i miserable. I don't feel very good. I feel bad and I don't deserve it. No, you don't.
2: We're only using Joseph's first name because he was in no condition to give consent. Pazlat then asks Joseph if he wants help. Are you interested in going to detox right now if we can make that happen? Okay. Before Measure 110 passed and decriminalized small amounts of hard drugs, police say they could have arrested Joseph and taken him to jail. Instead, police issued a $100 citation for possession. And under this new pilot program, the treatment worker, who's there with officers, calls to find Joseph a spot in rehab. Just as Hazlett is about to dial, an officer who's part of the Portland Police Bureau's bike squad comes over.
1: Ryan, we'll be right here. Okay, Easy. all right, thank you.
2: This is the first time police and outreach workers have partnered together on the streets of downtown Portland to get people using drugs connected with treatment. And they're doing it because the citation system, set up by state lawmakers, has largely failed to connect people to treatment. Sergeant Jerry Sciotta oversees the police bureau's bike squad. Last year, they wrote hundreds of Measure 110 citations. He says he's not aware of anyone who's called the state-funded hotline and accessed treatment through the citations written by his team. Siota says it was time to try something different. So the idea of having the clinician come out to them
1: at the moment that they want help increases their willingness or their ability to get help exponentially. So that's the goal of today. Hey, so I got Joseph here.
2: Back on the sidewalk, Ryan Haslatt is working the phones, trying to get Joseph the treatment he wants.
1: And he, is, he would like to go to detox if he can go right now. Bye. They're on their way right now. Awesome. They're just right
2: down the street, so they'll be here in a minute. A minute becomes several. Joseph says he used fentanyl last night, meaning he's well into withdrawal and deeply uncomfortable. It seems like at any moment, he might just not be able to wait any longer for help. That he'll get up and leave, go use again to ease his pain. Finally, Joseph's ride to detox arrives. His name is Patrick Smith with Recovery Works Northwest. Yeah, if you're able to answer a
1: couple questions for us, so that it helps us better serve you and help you.
2: The company's holding spots at its 16-bed facility in Portland that opened last fall after getting state funding from Measure 110. There are insurance hiccups and then a real concern that Joseph could actually be too sick for the detox facility and may need to go to the hospital.
1: It's really hard right now because it's he wants to help. But without his assistance into getting into the vehicle and sitting up, it's going to be hard to help him. You you
2: guys do detox, but you just, people need to be a little bit more. They need to be coherent. Yeah. Wow. Which is kind of a contradiction with withdrawal. Smith is on the phone with staff back at the detox facility. He then gets on his hands and knees and leans towards Joseph.
1: Hey, Joseph. If I was able to get my vehicle over here, would you be able to walk to the car? He said, yeah.
2: Finally, Joseph is in the car. At first, he tries to lay down in the back seat, but Smith says he has to buckle himself in and sit up.
1: You got it buckled? All right, Joseph, good luck, man.
2: It took almost an hour from when police first arrived to get Joseph connected with services and off to detox. Joe Bezaghi, another employee at Recovery Works, watches as Joseph heads off. He says this is one example of police and providers working together because of Measure 110.
1: We're able to do this work because it's not criminal, that these guys are now not charged with responding to mere possession and being the answer for these folks. So that's how we can make this partnership work.
2: Oregon lawmakers are now considering recriminalizing drugs If they do, Bezeghi says it could change this dynamic between police and health workers, but it's taken months or even longer just to get to this point.
1: It's gonna be more difficult. It's gonna be more difficult. People are gonna be less willing to engage, looking for treatment resources. They're not gonna be willing to talk with officers and say, hey, I'm I'm ready, because they're gonna be running away. They're gonna be hiding whatever their problem is.
2: And that's what we know from history regardless of whether Oregon's drug laws change. Sergeant Ciota says he hopes to keep the partnership with health workers. We want to continue
1: going forward. We see both sides see enough benefit that we'd be willing to continue <laughs> giving this a shot, whether this is recriminalized or not.
2: I checked back in with Joseph in early January. About a month had passed since he was out on the sidewalk, He's been through detox and is now in an intensive outpatient treatment program. That means he lives in a sober house with other people. Joseph is on medication that reduces opiate cravings. But at this point, things are still raw. He wants the basics. I don't know, to get my own place and be
1: able to support myself. I don't know why it seems to be so hard for everybody to understand.
2: Do you have a dream of what it might look like?
1: Uh, no, I try not to dream anymore because I find it's best to... Uh... Uh, keep myself from being disappointed,
2: to not have expectations of the future.
1: I mean, who knows? I may not even be alive in a year from now.
2: Joseph says he decided to get in the car and go to detox because a police officer told him it was an option. They said that they could get me medicated and, like, housed and stuff. So, yeah, why would I not want to do that? Joseph says no one had offered him that before.
0: Well, Conrad, first of all, I'm so happy to hear that joseph got treatment and and listening to this story this seems like something that has worked and you know it seems like such a simple concept but as we could hear as it was playing out it's it's actually not that simple. It's kind of complicated.
2: I mean, the numbers are small in terms of the people that have actually gotten into detox. Mm. But comparing it to the ticketing process, those Measure 110 tickets we heard earlier that really haven't worked, I mean, here are uh, you know at least one really clear example of somebody who benefited from this new partnership. Um, one thing that really stuck with me was as Joseph was there on the sidewalk, he had so much support around him. There were multiple outreach workers. There was law enforcement. And there was almost this sense that, like, maybe he wasn't going to be able to go into detox, even though that's what he wanted, because he couldn't stand up and and walk himself to the car and buckle in. He wasn't sure he could do that. And you heard Patrick Smith talk a little bit about the contradiction there. But just watching that, I mean, I, I was just like, I don't know, it was just a really surprising, revealing moment about just kind of what we're up against when it comes to tackling this addiction crisis. Yeah.
0: You know, I found it so interesting how decriminalization had made something like this possible. One of your sources said that since the criminal element of this interaction has been removed, it opened up this new avenue. But it strikes me that You know, we're three years into this whole process with Measure 110, and we're now at a point where legislators are discussing making changes to the law. Why did it take us so long to get to this point where new interventions like this are working?
2: That's such a good question. It's something I pose to both police and the treatment providers. Uh, I should start by saying, you know, both sides, they see this as something that is working and and they want to continue doing it. Law enforcement, you know, they told me that they've wanted to have outreach workers coming out with them. And there's been some resistance from service providers that don't want to be seen working too closely with police. You know, they want people to come to them and not feel like, you know, somehow there's some dotted line or connection to law enforcement. Um, and, And that's been really frustrating for police who have said, you know, we need help. On the other hand, you know the treatment providers said, "Listen, we've been moving really quickly. Like, there's been delays in funding from Measure One Ten dollars. So, uh, Recovery Works told me that, you know, they had to apply for a grant to get money. That was a really intensive process. Once they got their money, they had to." remodel a building, get it permitted, hire staff. They did that all in about a year. And so some of the people that you heard in that story, you know, they had just been hired within the last couple of months. The detox facility where Joseph went, you know, that opened in the fall of 2023. So a lot of these services wow. had just come online, so, you know, at least for this particular partnership was kind of coming together just just Yes, late, as the legislature is considering recriminalizing drugs. But, you know, they also said they were moving as quickly as they could.
0: Yeah, well, I'm glad, again, to have seen it be successful in in this case in your reporting. You know, I want to ask you a little bit about the ethics of the reporting that you did for this series. How did you think about including the overdose in the first story that we heard today?
2: Well, it was an extraordinary thing to witness. And I was glad to have OPB photojournalist Christina Wentzgraf working with me. We really co-reported all of these stories. Mm -hmm. And clearly the person who overdosed was in no position to give consent to photos or audio recording in the aftermath of what happened. It did happen on a public sidewalk and really in the middle of the afternoon. We believe it was important to include his story because, unfortunately, it's become so common over the past few years, and we ultimately decided not to use his name in the story.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Uh, Were you able to follow up and find out what happened to the person who overdosed after they went to the hospital?
2: We don't know a lot, but we were able to connect with one of his family members. They didn't actually know about the overdose when I called them, uh, but they said that they weren't surprised. I wanted to interview this family member, but they ultimately told me that the person who overdosed um, requested that they not continue to talk to me. I will say it was good to know from that interaction, though, that the person survived and was able to communicate with his family.
0: Yeah, that is good to know. You know, as we've heard throughout uh, these stories, you were bearing witness to some pretty intense stuff while working on this series what will stick with you from your reporting?
2: Well, as, as you said, I mean, I was struck by just how intense yeah. and how gritty and how raw some of these moments were. We know it's not just happening in Portland. And I was surprised to see how routine this has become for first responders, as well as those who are trying to provide treatment services to those living with addiction.
0: Well, Conrad, thank you so much for your reporting and for coming on The Evergreen to talk about it all. You're welcome. You can see Conrad Wilson's full coverage of Measure 110 and catch up on the proposed changes to the law from our politics team at opb.org. You'll also see the photos taken by OPB photo editor Christina Wenskraf. Thank you for listening to The Evergreen, a podcast from OPB. Tune in next week for a deep dive on the Black Artists of Oregon exhibit at the Portland Art Museum. If you're here listening right now, you are a part of our brand new podcast family. Help us grow by leaving a review on your favorite podcast app, including YouTube. Follow us there and, hey, tell your friends. Julie Sabatier produced this episode and our technical director is Stephen Cray. Naline Silva engineered the episode. The OPB podcast team also includes Mia Estrada and Sage Van Wing. The pieces you heard today were reported by Conrad Wilson and Christina Wenscraft and edited by Anna Griffin. The clips at the beginning of this episode came from NBC, CBS, and NPR. Our theme music comes from Audio Network. If you have a question for us, please reach out. Email us at theevergreen at opb.org. I'm Jen Chavez. Catch you later. Membership support means that you and others across our communities can hear fascinating stories on the Evergreen podcast and through all of OPB's essential reporting. We have more room under the canopy. Join us. Do your part now and join in as a sustainer at opb.org/pod.